and welcome again to the KI Prime podcast. My name is Alina Jenkins and our guest today is Veena Singaram. Veena is Associate Professor in Health Professions Education and has recently been appointed as the head of the inaugural HPE unit at the College of Health Sciences, University of KwaZulu-Natal in South Africa. She began her academic journey as an anatomy lecturer and then transitioned into the field of medical education. This path eventually led her to complete a PhD in health professions education from Maastricht University. Last year, she received the Distinguished Educator Award from the Southern African Association of Health Professions Educationalists. And her current research focuses on utilising digital tools to create a psychologically safe environment for formative assessment feedback, enabling healthcare trainees to learn and progress without fear of failure. Vina, welcome. Thank you very much. Such an honour to be here. Thank uh, you for having me. It's really lovely to chat to you. I'd love to start by asking you, what inspired you to move into your area of research? So actually, it started with my story of my transitioning from anatomy to health professions education, which actually started as a bittersweet story because I actually lost my job in anatomy because I didn't realise my post didn't cater for maternity leave. But that story has many chapters. So long story short, I got invited to be a facilitator in problem-based learning. And then I was just really curious about the why. Why are we doing this? Why do we do it this way? And those questions got me to Maastricht and then crossed paths with Case Van de Flute and Diana. And then my journey into health professions education was just amazing. And that blossomed my passion for learning. And I love to learn. But more importantly, I realized the power that we have in terms of how we can influence a student. We can either make them or break them. So uh, you know, back home, we have an African proverb, which is, it takes a village to raise a child. And I was very conscious of that, especially since we had changed our selection criteria and we brought in students from disadvantaged backgrounds. And they earned a place in medicine because they did academically well. But what we did with them was we either broke them or we made them. And I just, my personally, what kept me going was, I'm going to make certain I send back a healthcare professional to that village. I'm not sending back a student with debt. It just became my personal thing. So I focused then on what are the factors we can influence and, and enhance to ensure success, to increase competence. Because ultimately, it's about patient care. And we're all going to be patients one day. But how do we then influence what we can influence in our power? The curriculum, be it the curriculum, our, our, you know, the teachers, the environment, the students themselves, personal and professional. How do we influence all of that to enhance success? So there'll be an ultimate transformation. But you can see I can go on about this. I absolutely love it. But all of these things create tensions, right? And I love the word tensions because out of their tensions can emerge something greater, which is hence my, my love with transformative learning because it creates this, this, the tensions create the disorientating dilemma because there's a clash of the old and the new. And what can emerge is something much more exciting. So in other words, like a caterpillar, you have that caterpillar stage and then you can emerge as the butterfly. And how we influence those tensions uh, as teachers, you know, I became very acutely aware of the power that we have with that. I love your use of language that you're using there. And I said at the beginning how you want to enable healthcare trainees to learn and progress without fear of failure. And you were saying there is that, you know, historically, we either make them or we break them. And so it's, it's this, um, this transformative process of giving everybody that opportunity to to achieve to 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 be the best that they can be has has that been a struggle in that in that language change of of getting everybody to kind of adopt 
that different mindset? Oh, I'm so grateful you used the word mindset because that has been my greatest challenge. Because ultimately, I recognize what it boiled down to was changing mindsets and particularly growth mindsets. So, for example, are the teachers willing to recognize that failure is part of the success? And so, in other words, do we put enough opportunities in, in place to ensure formative assessment? Do we inform students about their learning, you know, as opposed to just assessing them whether they move on or not? So, do we have the right mindsets to create that kind of environment? Do we also encourage our students to have growth mindsets? And so, because I've been playing around with digital tools, I love what Agile, you know, in their Agile philosophy has in design thinking, that different iterations. And my son introduced me to the concept of fail fast, where you have many tries at something quickly, so you can get better at it. And I'm like, wow. And that's exactly what I went through when I was developing, you know, this app that I developed for feedback that you mentioned, the different iterations. And I thought, why do we not give our students the chance to do that? And hence my passion also for formative assessment. You know, can we create more chances for them to know how they're doing so that they'll know when and how, you know, to improve and, uh, and get better at things. And that's what we should be doing, right? Molding the, the clay into, you know, sculpturing it into what we want it to be and helping it along uh, as opposed to being barriers. So yes, the mindsets of teachers, the mindsets of the students as well. And then that whole thing about the mindset about the relationship as well between the student and the teacher. And how we do that. Yeah. So yes, you're absolutely right. The, the, the challenge has been about developing the mindsets. And so, you know, I was just like so excited this morning because it dawned on me that trying to change those mindsets, my focus has been on how do I influence the mindsets? And so I thought, okay, we do faculty development, you have discussions, you set to all of that. But I actually have been developing tools to encourage the mindsets, to stimulate, to become the catalyst you know, for that change. And so th that that's one of the things that I suddenly realized has been a common thread. <laughs> <laughs> I, I am I'm fascinated. I come from the world of communication and it, so it sounds like a lot of what you're doing is helping people communicate better and bringing this idea of mindset, then linking it to digital tools. So I love this, this kind of like connection between the world, the digital world and the app world and then that that world of of human connection. So just tell me about the, more about the digital tools that you've been developing. So actually difficult, con you know, like um, trying to address difficult conversations or w what worried me is that when I investigated and I looked more into feedback is such a powerful tool, yet so underutilized. And I mean, there's tons of literature and lots of, of the fellows are working around that area. And then what really bugged me was the fact that people were avoiding it. And then if you don't care, you will avoid feedback. So feedback is actually caring. Do you care enough to give feedback? But then on the other hand, sometimes people don't know how to show that they care because we've so more focused on tradition than in like how it is traditionally done as opposed to how I should learn to do it better. You know, and then I realized, okay, so maybe they don't know the dialogues. They're not quite sure how to create that constructive dialogue. And that's when I thought, okay, so maybe I could use a digital tool which brings into play a constructed, uh, a suggested constructive dialogue to stimulate the first act of feedback between somebody who, alt who originally may not find it easy to talk or to discuss because of the, of the various diversity factors that create the tensions. Because of our environment, we have a very multicultural, multiracial, multilingual environment, which I really think is positive 
but we still need to harness the positivity. Sometimes it can get in the way. So the digital tools, I find it to be like something can be can create this psychological safety to trigger the conversations that we want to create. So it's there's no tone. There's so it's wonderful to be able to share emotions with somebody and to you know have. But then you need to have the right tone. You need to be able to give the appropriate body language, you know, and all of that. But when you're not able to do that, let's use a constructive dialogue. Let's use a digital tool so that the student can focus just on the message without the additional. So yes, tone and voice and body language are important, but sometimes, you know, that can hinder the, your intended message. So that was my idea behind it, is to create that psychological safety mechanism to trigger the, the, the conversations. But also it was a mechanism in which the pandemic was actually a gift in many ways because it highlighted to us things that actually were not working, but we were accepting and forced us into saying, you know, let's do something about this and let's make it better. And how do we ensure educational continuity in the clinical training environments? We have a very busy clinical training environment. The queues at the clinic, the patient care tops teaching. How can I make certain then that environment there, I'm now asking it, a clinician who has hundreds of people sitting outside to be treated to now say, oh no, create time for teaching. So I thought, let me find a mechanism which can, it can be done outside of that. And let me make the student the driver of that. So the student can choose a particular learning goal that they need to establish themselves. So I'm encouraging them to set goals for their clinical training and then identify a case or a patient or any particular learning activity that they would like to get feedback on. And so the digital tool allows them to describe it upload photographs so that you can give the person that you're asking feedback more about it. And then they have the option to do a self-assessment about the learning activity. And then they can send it to either a peer or a clinical supervisor who was there who or somebody who they feel comfortable with to get feedback from about, you know, this is what I had, I did and this is what I think went well. This is what I think didn't go well. And this is how I think I should improve. But more importantly, we keep talking about competencies. But how often do we actually rate a student and say, you know what, your collaboration skills was really good this morning in this case that, we pre that you presented in. Or you were a really great communicator. And by the way, you need to actually develop, you know, these skills a bit more. So I, and I realized that's what's lacking. So I built in the competencies. Rate yourself. What do you, how do you think that particular learning activity help you to develop a competency? And then the, the, and they send this to a peer or a, a clinical supervisor who then reads their self-assessment and gives them feedback. So what we've done is taken out the fear of like, okay, this person knows what I'm thinking and they know what I'm thinking. So you will know how to give me feedback. But because I've suggested a constructive dialogue, even if it is going to be negative feedback, but the dialogue will guide you to give it in a constructive way. So that's my law. That's not Sorry. It's just been in the making. And then I'm just like so chuffed that I finally got it here. So yeah. It's such a love it's such a lovely expression. I'm so chuffed. <laughs> and and what um I picked up on there, Vina, is you said, you know, we we've removed the fear, but more importantly, what you were saying there is you've created psychological safety. And when you create that psychological safety, you create trust. And when you've got trust, then you're able to have those conversations. What's been the impact, do you think, of, of implementing this, this digital tool? What, what changes have you seen? So it's still very early days, which is also very exciting because then it means that I have a whole lot to uncover. So we've started implementing it in the various platforms in 
pediatric surgery, ONG, anesthetics, and the health sciences, optometry and dentistry. And so, you know, so firstly, we found that the tool is very convenient. And especially in my setting, I need to make certain that it was easy to access, wasn't going to cost too much, wasn't going to be a lot of, you know, especially bandwidth, etc. and all of that. And the good thing about it is that I revolve students and teachers along the way as I was developing it. So there's been different iterations of it, so which has been great. I've tweaked here and moved that. So that's what we've done now. And we've done the prototyping and beta testing. And, mm-hmm. and now we've, we've implemented there. And w- what I'm finding is that, like, like the first of all, the students are like, oh, this is really quick. I cannot believe that I can get, I can get feedback in five minutes. You know, because generally when you ask people to give feedback, oh, I don't have the time. Yeah. Time becomes the major issue. So I'm glad that I've handled that issue. I've taken that out. But what I love about it is that it's doing what I, what I intended to do, which is just to be a trigger. Mm-hmm. So it is creating the deeper conversations and it is stimulating students to start taking responsibility for their own learning. COVID taught us we need to make our students to be stronger self-directed learners mm-hmm. because when they were not with us, they literally in inverted commas had to fend for themselves. And the research that I've done showed that students that were strong self-directed learners and had learner autonomy, autonomy thrived, but those that were reliant on direction didn't. So, you know, it's like parenting. You know, there's a moment in <laughs> your parents, right? And there's a moment when you got to realize, okay, I need to step back because I'm not going to be there all the time. Let me focus on the skills. And that's exactly what it is. Focusing on the skills development more, I think. Because knowledge, I mean, you've heard, we've heard this several times. By the time our students graduate, half the knowledge they're going to, we, we teach them is going to be outdated. So we actually should focus on how do we, how do we enhance their lifelong learning skills, their self-directed learning skills, a continuous professional development. And one of the major things to do that is feedback seeking. You know, so I'm, so I'm glad that he's able to trigger that. Yeah. I wanted to ask you, I know that you're also looking into power dynamics and the hierarchy in clinical training environments. Just tell me a bit more about that. So, you know, sadly, that can interfere greatly with the trust and the relationship. So we've, in postgraduate medical education in South Africa, we're currently formalizing the introduction of work-based assessments because we want to, uh, you know, strengthen our competency-based um, medical education. And so I'm working very closely with my with my doctoral students on this. And then, so I deliberately took a department that had a history where there were lots, let's just say, challenges with the power, with the hierarchy and the racial tensions, etc. And I thought, why should life be easy? Let me go deliberately make it difficult. <laughs> but we had a really amazing head of department who worked with us and we went in there and we implemented a tool that we developed. But beforehand, we found out that their feedback was, was avoided, neglected, poorly done. The students dreaded it. The teachers avoided it because they just wanted to, after many of the tensions that we experienced in the department and the power dynamics and surgery itself comes, you know, any envir- in any situation, generally the power dynamics are greater in a, in a surgical setting. And ours was heightened because of the other tensions that came into play. But we went in there and, and this is exactly what we did. We introduced a digital tool, a work-based assessment tool that we adapted to our setting. Because that's the other thing I recognized is that our context is very different. And we really need to be aware of that. We cannot take tools that may have worked in the global north and think it's going to work in our global south settings. The, the other focus I've had is that, is it contextually relevant for our setting, for our students, for it? So we actually adapted, you know, a few of the tools, created our own kind of tool. 
and went in and that's exactly what the tool did. It actually, I think oh, the best moment was when two people who hadn't given each other uh, one of the um, surgeons who had never bothered to give feedback because he thought, okay, they're going to misunderstand me and I'd rather just play it safe. And suddenly was, you know, that person gave me feedback and it was really great because he's a good clinician. Mm. He just needed a little bit of assistance of how to create that dialogue. And that triggered the trust relationship because ultimately that's what we're there for, learning. So can we trust each other from the teacher-student kind of relationship? So I think that before it worked really well, because it was taken for granted that it will be the whole, you know, the relationship was very dependent on the fact that the student is going to totally follow uh, the apprentice model is what I'm looking for. Mm. Yeah, so the apprentice model, but that has been challenged now. And so the, obviously the older clinicians are still in the apprentice model because that's how they were trained. So it's difficult now to say, that worked for you, but it's not going to work now. Can we make some adjustments? How about try this tool out? And that's where really, the nudging has been great. And, and from what you're saying there, Vina, there are challenges that you face. Um, you mentioned there the difference between the global north and the global south. Has some of your research delved into the differences there between the north and the south? You know, I've become a lot more acutely aware of it now because I, in my doctoral work, I worked with diversity and, you know, and about the, the fact that we had a very different environment. And one of the major, oh, this was a difficult learning experience. We introduced problem-based learning, which didn't go very well because it, it was a beautiful learning concept. Case one to Fluton. I mean, you know, I went to, Ma that's what took me to Maastricht University. So I really wanted to understand problem-based learning if I'm going to be involved in it in, 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 in my setting. And then what I realized is that we were implementing what they had developed as is, as opposed to saying we can adjust it, we can adapt it, we can take the parts that work for us, we can leave the parts that don't. Now, now we're in a space where like, you know, like for 20 years later to say we can do that. So yes, like for example, the small group learning, the heart of problem-based learning, which was the focus of my initial research you know, has got such a beautiful opportunity for learning because of the collaborating, collaboration sector that occurs there. But we don't have, you know, all of the resources to carry out some of the other bits. So yes, I'm becoming a lot more aware of that. And I think that we're also getting a stronger voice in the global north. And I'm loving that um, in terms of that, we, you know, it's, it's like we can create, we can make things that work for our context. And if it's different from the global north, that's actually okay. And before, it was the standards were set and you were trying to achieve those standards. Now we can create our own standards because actually we have our own lens to look through. And also what I love about it is that I love, I mean, like, for example, just interacting with my fellows here and, you know, like recently as well, people have become a lot more open-minded about the fact that we have the global north and the global south. And I think that elephant in the room recognizing it has been really amazing. Because then that in itself opens up your mind and other people's minds to say, okay, you know, we thought this was a great thing, but hello, maybe it's not. But the important thing is that there's power on both ends. That's how I see it. And there are uh, strengths on both ends. And I'm just so, I love looking at the glass, uh, you know, half full as opposed to half empty. So these strengths on both ends. And how awesome would it be if we actually maximize on our strengths as opposed to just calling out our weaknesses all the time? Yeah. 
I really love that thought. Um, I have an expression where it's focusing on strengths and then where are your areas of opportunities, which is going back to the language that you were talking about earlier. Absolutely. positive language. And a lot of the students from the Global North come to South Africa, maybe not for the reasons I really would love to, but they learn stuff they would never learn at home, right? Because we because of the healthcare setting that we have and the the opportunities to learn about diseases and trauma that you wouldn't experience at home. So I just joked, okay, there's a silver lining to every cloud. You know, we're providing learning opportunities. But then I asked the question, so you're sending your students to us. How about we send our students to you? So now we can start those kinds of conversations. And I loved the response, would love to help them. And then I asked, what will they benefit from your setting? So that it becomes an equal thing. And, and that's the kind of dialogues now that I'm, I'm really looking into developing more about how we can maximize those trends, how we can grab the opportunities and, and change the mindsets. I'm intrigued to know what you want to get from the next few years. What are your aims and goals in this area of research? Or do you feel that you might be going off in, a, in another direction? So in terms of research, I, I feel like the... The, the tools that we've developed, so we're at very much at the, at the starting end of it. So I really would love to probe a lot more deeper into how we actually not just change the mindsets, but sustain it. Because that's the other thing about, you know, the wow fact. You do a piece of research, you write a paper, it gets published. But now I'm actually interested, and that's great. But so what? You know, how, how sustainable is that? Do, do people actually do that after you come out of that environment that you've just researched? So I'm looking more into translational, sustainable kind of changes that we can influence and impact with my research. So I'm really looking to investigate further about how we actually um, can transform, can, can create more of these disorientating dilemmas to create this transformation for enhanced success, enhanced uh, competence. And what's the kind of role that I would play in that? But I'm also really excited, I mean, you know, about the new role because I feel, I feel like as though I have this blank canvas, right? And I can paint on it. I mean, I, I know that, but I can dream for now. <laughs> I can paint on it. But the beautiful thing about it is I can paint. And if I don't like the color, I can change it. Now, that's the power that I got over the last couple of days, you know, that, yeah. that, with our visit to the studio and, and interacting with Astrid. And, um, and I love the fact that, oh, I think I'm going to go in and change this color. And then he daunted me. That's what we can do. You know, we can change things. But the unit, I'm like really ecstatic about that. It was uh, a long battle to finally get our leadership to accept that. And I'm really thrilled that they've, they've recognized the importance of having that because that now gives us the greatest power. And so my research is actually also going to be very much aligned about how do we formalize our scholarship? How do we create our communities of practice? How do we um, and you know formalize our faculty development programs so that we can actually stop just doing things out of tradition, but more about evidence space. And then moving on to higher cutting edge research so that, because we have a very unique environment, which is so understudied, you know, in my opinion. So I'm like just super excited about the various things that we can do. And we have a lot to share with the rest of the world. And why not tell our stories? I think it's our time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> this is why we're doing the podcast as well, so everybody can tell their stories. Vini, just one more thing. What does it mean for you to be here as part of the fellowship program for 2023? It's, it's actually such a beautiful experience. I'm so grateful for this opportunity. And it came at such an amazing time in my life when I got this new position. So, you know, so every interaction I have with every fellow goes like, oh, yes, we're going to do this together. And, you know, so the networking and the collaboration 
is is just been phenomenal. So I'm really, really thrilled about that. And also, you know, like you and I were chatting, you know, as an academic, you have the whole syndrome that gets the imposter syndrome that, that hinders you. So as I take on this new role, I'm really thrilled that being here as a fellow also gives me an opportunity to, you know, others to, for me to reflect and to recognize. And then, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a great space to be and I can flap my wings. You know, I'm not so much a caterpillar. I'm getting to be the butterfly. <laughs> and, and I can do that. But I must also, you know, acknowledge my many mentors that got me here. Case Van der and Diana Dolmans have been amazing into introducing me into um, health professions uh, education. And for that, I'll be very grateful. And, and also to the people that have crossed paths with here. So it's really a fantastic opportunity. And to even cross paths with you. It's been wonderful to chat to you. It's been so lovely to, to <laughs> chat today, Vina. Thank you so much for your time. All the best for the future. All the best in the new role as well. Ah, oh, Thank you so much, Lena. Appreciate it. <laughs> and thank you to everybody listening at home. We'll be back again very soon with another episode of the KI Prime podcast. Until then, take care. Goodbye. Goodbye.